Good morning, good afternoon or good evening wherever you are in the world. Here in Brighton today I have to say it is gorgeously sunny. It is a very beautiful day and I have been reading in the park. I've been reading the new Maggie O'Farrell. More on that soon. It's on our podcast too. Anyway, it's me Damien Barr and this is another Salon exclusive. Now today we are talking about Jess Kidd. And Jess is one of those authors who seems to just appear fully formed and is now a part of our firmament and she's absolutely brilliant. So she's the author of Things in Jars, uh, which was huge a few years ago, and the BBC Radio 2 Book Club Picks himself and The Hoarder. And she also won the 2016 Costa Short Story Award when we still had Costa Prizes. So this is a reading from her new novel, the Night Ship. Like a lot of novels right now, it's based on a true story. This one is based on the true tale of a Dutch shipwreck in Western Australia in 1628. The chapters alternate between Micah, a mischievous young girl, sailing to rejoin her father after her mother died, and Gil, who in 1989, fast forward, has come to Beacon Island to live with his curmudgeonly crayfisher grandfather. And that is where he learns about the sinking of the Batavia. So we've got a dual timeline story, past and present, in the same location. It's a book about childhood in lots of ways and how grief in childhood particularly can affect your whole life. But it's also about escapism, folklore and the imagination. Very Jess Kid style trademark gorgeousness. It's definitely atmospheric. You will not be able to put it down. And there's a tension that emerges towards the end. Um, It all builds up. Anyway, Graham Norton gave a very, very, very lavish quote for the book. He said, The night ship is breathtaking, sweet and grim, epic and domestic. I loved it. Readers are in for a treat. When he tweeted that, I immediately sent for a copy of the book. So anyway, we're sharing it with you now. Ahoy! Here is Jess with a reading from her exciting seafaring historical novel. Hi, I'm Jess Kidd and I'm delighted to be reading just for the listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, The Night Ship. This book centres around the real-life story of the Dutch merchant ship Batavia, the best of her kind, that set sail to the Spice Islands in 1628. Her passengers met mutiny, shipwreck and massacre. This is a tale about the worst and the best of human behaviour, but also about friendship, hope and survival. So here's a short reading just for you, and it's from the very start, chapter 1. 1628. The child sails in a crowded boat to the end of the Zyder Sea, past the foreshores of shipyards and warehouses, past new stone houses and the occasional steeple, on this day of dull weather, persistent drizzle and sneaking cold. There are many layers to this child, undergarments, middle garments and top garments. Micah is made of pale skin and small white teeth and fine fair hair and linen and lace and wool and leather. There are treasures sewn into the seams of her clothing, small and valuable like her. Micah has a father she's never met. Her father is a merchant who lives in a distant land where the midday sun is fierce enough to melt a Dutch child. 
Her father has a marble mansion, so she's told. He has a legion of servants and stacks of gold dishes. He has chestnut stallions and dapple mares. Red and white roses grow around his doorway. They twine together, blood and snow mixed. By day, the roses raise their faces to the sun. By night, they empty their scent into the air. Cut them and they'll live only an hour. Their thorns are vicious and will take out an eye. Micah's father left just before she was born. Micah's mother would boast about the absent man, so wholesomely dedicated to the making of wealth, so staunch in the face of native unrest and strange pestilences. But she had no intention of joining her husband, being too delicate for such a perilous journey. Micah doubted this. Her mother had sturdy calves and a good appetite. She had a big laugh and glossy curls. Her mother was as durable as a well-built cabinet until a baby got stuck inside her. Micah must not say a word about the baby because it shouldn't have been up there in the first place. She has practised with her nursemaid. Your mother? She's dead? Yes, from the bloody flux. How did your mother die, Micah? My mother died from the bloody flux, Imka. Tell me, child, how is your mother? She's dead, unfortunately, from the bloody flux. Bloody flux, says Micah, to the rhythm of the oars and the slap of the water on the bow of the boat that rocks her towards the East India man. Bloody flux, she answers to the cows swung on high. They bellow as they are lowered into the ship. Bloody flux, she says to the people that swarm over the decks, the sailors and fine merchants, the plume-hatted soldiers and the bewildered passengers. Bloody flux, she replies to the pip-pip-pip-toot of trumpeters relaying commands. The ship waits in the water. Around her a chaos of people and goods are loaded from a flotilla of vessels like flies circling a patient mare. Bloody flux, that is a big ship. She is beautiful. Her upper works are painted green and yellow and at her prow, oh best of all, crouches a carved red lion. His golden mane curls, his claws sink into the beam, he snarls down at the water. Micah's boat rocks round the ship's bowed belly. High up, the ship is lovely, with her bright gunwale and curved balustrades and stern decks reaching up, up into the sky. Lower down, she's a fortress, an armoured hull studded with close-set, square-headed nails, already rusting. Micah cries out, the ship is bleeding. A passenger sitting on the plank seat opposite laughs. The iron nails keep the shipworms out. They love to eat fresh, juicy wood. The passenger leans forward and demonstrates with his finger on Micah's cheek. They burrow and twist and gnaw tiny holes. Fortunately, Micah too has teeth. The man recoils. She bit me. You poked her. The nursemaid turns to the child. What are you, a stoat, a rat, a puppy? Put your teeth away. The man good-naturedly raises one gloved hand. No harm done. He wears the black costume of a preacher, a predicant. There is a Mrs. Predicant in a gown cut from the same cloth. Between them a line of children, big to small, dressed in the same dark wool as their parents, all with clean white collars. 
A minister and his family dressed for a portrait, pressed together like barrelled mackerel, bumping knees with the other passengers. The eldest daughter cradles a carefully wrapped package, Bible-shaped. The youngest son, a ringleted cherub, picks his nose and wipes his finger on his sister's leg. Micah addresses his father politely. Speak more about the shipworms, if you please. The holes they bore are tiny, says the predicant, but enough tiny holes. He makes a glugging sound and a motion with his hand, the ship sinking. The cherub pouts and his sister rolls her eyes. Rounding the ship's flank, they see the gun ports painted red. The predicant points them out to the cherub. For the big cannons against marauders, he adds darkly. Decorating the stern of the ship is a row of great wooden men. Great in that they are almost life-height and full-bearded. Great, too, in that they wear long robes. They're to keep the pirates away. Micah frowns at the predicant. Of this, she is doubtful. One of the carved men looks like a pork butcher from Harlem Market. And he holds a sword, not a pig's leg. The other three just look peevish. She glances at her nursemaid. Imka is wrapped. Imka believes all sorts of pap. Eels are made from wet horse hair. Blowing your nose vigorously can kill you. Statues and carvings can occasionally come alive because an object crafted with love can't help but live. They tried it with a pie. Micah made pastry snakes to go on top. She rolled them carefully, pricked eyes and kissed them. When the pie was baked, the snakes were still pastry, only golden. There was no wriggling or seething. Micah ate them in disgust. They didn't even taste like snakes. Imka said the snakes were merely sleepy, that they had been basking in the heat of the oven. Another time, Imka took Micah to the Church of St. Barvo, the Jewel of Harlem. The old nursemaid told her to open her eyes and take notice. Micah opened her eyes and took notice. Even so, she missed the grin of the stone gargoyle and the wink of the wooden toad in the choir stall. And now her heart hurts to think of Harlem and all the things they are leaving behind. The tall, clean house, the market boys, the kitchen cat, Mama and the secret stuck inside baby. He was a brother of that Micah is sure. She only ever wanted a brother. The great-bellied ship looms above, one, two, three masts rising up through a web of rope. The pennant flags snap and stream against a sky of lowering clouds. Imka pipes up. When they loosen the sails, it will be like all the wash days have come at once. Gulls are nervously testing the yardarm, clumsy-footed compared to the sailors who are all over the rigging, climbing, dangling, rolling, lashing, hollering and cursing. Micah loves the sailors instantly, the daring of them, their speed along the ropes, the heights they climb to. Thank you for listening. So much salty excitement. Jess, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm so thrilled that we finally got to have you here with us and I hope that we get to talk at a salon in the future. 
Uh, now, veteran listeners will have noticed our penchant for a novel with a dual timeline. And we've had quite a few on there. Julie Owen Moylan's That Green Eyed Girl, Delene Perkins Valdez's Take My Hand. We love them. If you've got one that you love and we don't know about it, please get in touch and tell us. You can catch those past readings on our podcast and please do share them with your pals. We are just about everywhere you could go for a podcast. So be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And I'm sorry, but not sorry, about your teetering TBR. Once again, that was Jess Kidd reading exclusively for the Literary Salon from her new novel, The Night Ship. The Night Ship is published by Edinburgh-based indie press, Canongate, who we love, and it's available now in all good bookshops. I always tell people to buy from the local indie, but if for whatever reason you haven't got one or you can't afford it, then check out your local library. It's free and it's yours to use and they would welcome you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>